Hi guys, David here with just a quick disclaimer. Uh, when the, we were first recorded this episode, the, it was all in one part, but as you can see, uh, it is actually uh, on part one and uh, part two on the site. That's because when we were recording it, there is uh, we did a, a massive uh, Azerothian times as we knew we would, but didn't realize just in how massive it was. And uh, I didn't think that uh, anybody would appreciate a two hour episode. Um, so as you know, as much as I know you guys love the show, I didn't want to bore any of the non-Warcraft players. But think of it this way, it's more band for your buck. Two episodes for the price of one. And considering it's free anyway, that's pretty good bargain. So uh, here you have it, this is, uh, this is uh, part one. So this will have the, the normal stuff, news, uh, reviews, contests of champions coming soon, that sort of stuff. And then that part two will be the, all the Azerothian time stuff. So enjoy. Loktar and Thromkar to episode 119 of the New Culture Podcast. Is that Klingon? No, it's Orc. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I only just recently found out what Loktar means. But what does it mean? I don't know. I, I, always thought, I always assumed it meant hello, but it actually means um, victory. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, But it, also, it can also mean welcome. So, so I basically just said welcome and hello to episode 119. Awesome, which awesome. Is what, which is you what know, I always another, say. <laughs> another Klingon orc thing is um, in one of the cinematics on uh, on Warlord of Draenor, he says, today is a good day to fight. And I thought he was going to say to die, <laughs> but, he, but he didn't. He changed it up at the end. <laughs> uh, oh, we've just nerded out completely. Uh, my name is David. I'll be your host. And with me, uh, Crystal and Bo. Kapla. Thank you. Which means success. <laughs> I should have known you Star Trek nerds would jump in <laughs> with some Klingon. They've clearly ripped it off from the Klingon, but that's all right. That's fine. I just always, I just love, I love it whenever you click on an orc and it's, and it's, and it's Loktar. So the orcs are really Klingons. Yeah, the orcs are basically Klingons. They are. Yeah, they're, they're totally. Ba- <laughs> let's, let's be honest. They're basically Klingons. Uh, so for this episode, um, as you can probably guess, we've got uh, a lot of Warcraft talk to be uh, to be had. Um, Yay! In our last- <laughs> <laughs> the fakest yay ever. Um, in our, uh, a couple uh, episodes, one seventeen, we had our initial thoughts on um, the latest expansion, Warlords of Drainer, and uh, as our regular listeners will know, uh, Bo and I are massive uh, Warcraft players. So, uh, so this episode will be very heavy <laughs> in the Azeroth the entire. So I apologise for you non-Warcraft players, but we've got a lot to talk about. But it's in the last half of the show, so stay tuned for the first Yeah, half. yeah, that's the last. Yeah, well, thank you for pointing that out. Don't, don't turn us off right now. <laughs> There's so much more to come. Uh, so, so this episode, uh, not only do we have that huge Azeroth thing times, but we also have uh, news. And when I say news, I've only got two items, uh, and one of them is pretty obvious. Uh, a couple of reviews. Uh, Bo and I are going to have some reviews. Uh, we're also going to uh, have a look at our homework from uh, episode 117, which was um, the theory that... Uh, Indiana Jones is superfluous to the Raiders of the Lost Ark plot. Um, and uh, we're also going to have a Contest of Champions. It's been a couple of episodes since we've had one of those, so we're going to have a Contest of Champions as well. And there's a, there's a theme to that Contest of Champions. We'll get to it when we do. So let's start off with uh, our news. 
So as I said, just a couple of items. Uh, we've got the, the, the main one, but we've also just before we get to that, we've just got a little bit of sad news. Uh, take it away, Crystal. Um, earlier this week, uh, cricketer Philip Hughes, yeah, what happened was, uh, to, well, to try to explain it to an international audience, in cricket, instead of pitchers, you've got bowlers, and they bowl overarm, and this particular delivery called a bouncer, which is the, the fastest you could possibly get, hit Philip in the chest first, I think, and then as he turned in the back of the head. Yeah, so he hit him in the chest, and as he sort of moved, moved, tried to move his head away so he didn't get hit in the face, it uh, travelled up his body and hit him behind the ear. Right under his helmet. So he, ah. he was wearing full protective gear, but mm. the head was just in the wrong spot, and unfortunately this knocked him out, and he had to be put into an induced coma and never regained consciousness. So we're... At uh, NCP just wanted to um, put out our condolences. It's just, it's one of those freaky things where it shocks everybody who hears about it because one minute you're standing there alive, fit young man, and I say young man because he's just shy of his 26th birthday, mm. and the next minute gone. And it just makes you think, well, this could, any minute could be your last minute. So it's, it's, a, it's a sobering thought. Live life to the fullest. It's, it's a bit of a shock. And also, I also just want to throw out a feels to uh, the bowler, Sean. I just, you know, hopefully he's doing okay, because how would you feel? Yeah, well, well condolences go out to Philip Hughes and his family and friends and everybody else who may be feeling that, and and to the bowler who bowled the unfortunate delivery and his family and friends. And anyway, on to more happier news. Uh, so uh, the the uh, internet exploded yet again a couple of days ago with the release of the Star Wars 7 teaser trailer. Um, I say it's a teaser trailer because it only goes for like a minute and a half. Um, but uh, it was it was released in select cinemas uh, around the United States. So no doubt you had uh, that that thing where people bought tickets to see the trailer and then left before, oh, the, yeah. before the show even started to deal. I'm pretty sure that... I'm pretty... I was gonna like me and one of my coworkers were talking about doing that, and then we talked ourselves out of it. <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh, but it was then released section? released onto the into the internet uh, a couple of hours later. So yeah, yeah, a weird thing to do actually. Select cinemas and then put it on the internet anyway. It was like the, the closest one to me was still like two hours away. Yeah, it, it didn't. It wasn't everywhere. It wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was wasn't one in South Carolina at all, was it? Wasn't uh, no, no, yeah, in Atlanta. Yeah, I would have like, had to go to Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. Uh, but like the the thing is, it shows more than most teaser trailers, though. It's like it's kind of like in between an actual trailer and a teaser. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's like a kind of a maxi teaser. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's it's weird. But uh, but yeah, so it's it's pretty exciting for uh, all the uh, Star Wars fans. And um, I, I uh, people were like you know staying up to wait for it to come on and stuff like that. Um, I didn't. I actually forgot about it. To be honest, with you. I, I apologise. But uh, I, I generally I'm feeling really bad. I didn't really notice it. Know about it until I saw William Shatner's tweets the next day. That's funny, is that I actually I, I was reading my tweets as I was walking down to vote yesterday morning, and uh, and yes, and people were talking about it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I watched it in line while I was waiting to vote. <laughs> people were like, what the hell is going on here? Star Wars music blares up, hilarious. Anyway, but it's a, it's a pretty it's actually a pretty well done trailer. I, I'm you know it's, I'm a, I'm a fan of trailers. It's it's a bit of an art on how mm. to edit it together and sort of and tell a story without trying to give anything away. It's yeah, you know and, and a lot of them fail because a lot of them just basically just tell you the whole story. Whereas this one, it yeah. tells you just enough to give you an idea of what's going on. 
and it has you know the sort of the the classic J.J. Abrams money shot, uh, which I'll get to in a second. It's just it's I thought it was. You know, Do you know what I was encouraged by? What I did not see any lens flare. Yeah, that's exactly right. Not a single bit of lens flare in the entire trailer. So that doesn't mean that it's not in the film. That's true. <laughs> I just want to point that out. But it's not in the trailer, and that's a very nice thing. So I'm glad you brought that up. So let's uh, so let's go through it. Um, we're just we're not going to go through you know frame by frame, but I do want to go through shot by shot. So it starts off with a very cool voiceover. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? And the light. A lot of people uh, were saying that it's Benedict Cumberbatch, but it clearly isn't. One, he's not in the film, and it's clearly yeah. not—it's clearly not his voice. I don't know what people were thinking. It's actually Andy Serkis. Um, just because it's a British-sounding voice, and he's the hottest British person yeah, at the moment. <laughs> I guess so. It's, it's weird. People are just obsessed with Cumberbatch. It's like calm yeah, down, people. That's what I was about to say. There's so much obsession with Cumberbatch right it's, now. That's because yeah. he's awesome. He is awesome, but there's just, I mean, can't, you know, there's just, he doesn't have to be in everything. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, I thought it was quite clearly Andy Serkis, and it, it turns out that it actually is, it's been confirmed. Um, and it's, it's a pretty cool little voiceover talking about how the Force has now awakened for both the light and the dark side. Um, so that sort of lends, lends credence to that the Force has been dormant since Return of the Jedi, since Luke is the last Jedi left. I find that quite, quite interesting. And we'll sort of see how close that is. Uh, the first, the first shot is actually of John uh, Boyega, um, who is a stormtrooper. He's either a stormtrooper who has defected, or is because he doesn't have his helmet on, or something. Or he's a he's a, he's lost from his troop, or whatever the case would be. Or he's just wearing the armor. Oh, My yeah. guess is he's actually a stormtrooper. He may not be. He may because well, he could be just like. Disguised like yeah, Luke and or, Han was exactly yeah yeah. So there's 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 a lot of conjecture. There's there is a some pretty uh, major spoiler, you know, possible spoilers out there um, that uh, that are available. I'm not gonna we're not gonna repeat them here, um, but one of them heavily suggests that he is actually a stormtrooper. You just you're not gonna repeat um, them. But no no no, I'm not, that's, that's not that's not a spoiler. I, I don't think it's a spoiler. I think it's pretty clear that he is a spo- is a stormtrooper. Well, he's got the clothes on because yeah, he's got the because he's got the clothes. <laughs> He's, he's wearing the outfit. Yeah, yeah. he's wearing the outfit. Um, the, the situation for around him, though, I don't want to get into that because it could possibly be He spoiled. just got lost from Comic-Con. He got yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does sort of look around like, where the hell am I? <laughs> I was just going to the bathroom. Las Vegas Comic-Con. I know, he just, the way he sort of looks around, he's kind of like, what, what the hell? <laughs> the, the first thing that popped in my head when I saw it is um, the animated series that they did, The Clone Wars. Oh, yeah. yeah. The way that the stormtroopers on the Clone Wars, like they would take their helmets off, and they were like characters too. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like the original Star Wars movie where they were always, you know, just kind of like almost robots, you know, yeah. bumping their heads on gotcha. spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then, it, uh, so he uh, he sort of looks around and off he goes. Then it cuts to Daisy Riley on her her swoop or her speeder or whatever you want to what call William it. William Shatner said it looks like a fuse. It does look like a fuse. I actually think it looks like, uh, you know, those those popsicles you used to get with the two yeah. popsicles stuck together? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, it looks like one of those. But anyway, um, so yeah, so she's um, she plays some... Uh, well, they've, they've said that her name is Kira. Um, that hasn't been confirmed, but that's you know, seems to be fairly obvious. Uh, Kira Norris. Um, Kira <laughs> Norris, yeah. Um, and, uh, and that she is sort of a scavenger of some kind, and... Uh, uh, now, there's a pretty major major plot spoiler out there that says that 
she has something in her possession in that scene. Um, I don't want to say what it is, uh, but uh, apparently but they're saying that she has that item and is going off to ask somebody further about it. That's about as far as I want to go with that. Um, so that's, you know, but she's off somewhere in a hurry. There's, there's no, no denying that. Then cuts to the, uh, uh, a new droid. Uh, he's, un, he's unidentified at the moment, but it's basically a ball with a head. And uh, that's sort of classic Abrams. Was um, I have to keep referring to William Shatner, but all yeah. I know is we tweet. He said, uh, "Now Jar Jar Binks is not the most annoying character in Star Wars." I, I disagree. I actually think it makes perfect. It makes perfect sense. I don't know why. I reserve my judgment until I see the film. It's only sort of two seconds of it. I think it's cool. I have absolutely nothing to go. I mean, the, well, the ball looks very similar to a soccer ball, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah. But but the fact that there's new droid designs makes perfect sense. It's 30 years later, for crying out loud. So you know, I've got I've got no problem with it. Yeah. As long as he isn't isn't the Jar Jar Binks of this of this uh, film, I'll be I'll be fine with it. Um, but you know, otherwise it looks fine. Then it comes to uh, the the, con- the controversial scene is what is I like to call it, which is a. Uh, a dark robed figure on in sort of a like a, a sparse, desolate sort of area, um, sort of icy. Uh, some people have speculated that it's Hoth. I actually don't think it is. Um, I don't think it's too many at, trees. Yeah, but sorry, too many trees to be. Yeah, hot. there's too many trees. It's, it's it's yeah. Hoth was an absolute wasteland. I don't think this is just a sort of a yeah, sort of a, it a looks whole, like kind of Norwegian or something. It's a whole planet though, isn't it? Doesn't the whole planet can't be a wasteland? Yeah, all of Hoth is just a ball. Of ice. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I know, but that's me. That, is that canon though? Does it not? No, it is. It is canon, but it is. It is interesting that you bring that up. Actually, that's that's really important that you bring it up. Though some people are speculating that this is actually two different planets, right? Because of the sort of the classic Star Wars thing is that each planet has like one ecosystem, which is ridiculous. As you just pointed out, it doesn't make any sense, right? So yeah, yeah. So there's there's all possibilities that this is actually on the same planet, on the same planet, and just in a different part of the world. And you know, I'm cool with that. But regardless of where it is, basically, it's this dark-robed, you know, Sith-like figure uh, who uh, whips out a um, a lightsaber that is like a broadsword. So it has the has a, a long extended beam that is flickering and thin and, uh, and it's very it's very thin and it's flickering and sort of flamey but then it also has a cross guard two cross card pieces uh, with like little beams that come out as well sort of dagger sized as well now the reason I say this is controversial is because a lot of people have said that um, the lightsaber a doesn't look right because the beam is too too thin um, and that it's yeah. all like flickering and stuff and the cross beam itself just wouldn't work it's like it's, it's not really effective now, the reason they're saying that is because the reason the cross beam was invented with sword, I'm no sword master, but I've done a bit of research, but the reason the cross, the cross beam was invented was so that the swords couldn't slide down. You couldn't, you know, lock swords and then slide the blade down and chop off their fingers and hands, right? Which makes perfect sense. And always, I always wondered in the Star Wars films why people just didn't do that. It's like... Well, a, a couple of hands down. have come off. Yeah, but they're not in the way that that is. The, yeah. the only the only way is the way uh, Vader does it in Empire, where he sort of flicks the blade around in that brilliant, brilliant scene in Empire, where he sort of flicks the blade and then cuts his hand off. Um, so, so a lot of people have said that that, that that design doesn't work for that purpose because the bits that come out that create the beams are too long. So if you actually did the slide down bit, you would hit the bit that generates the beam, not the beam itself. Um, yeah. And I agree with that. It actually makes perfect sense. It doesn't. It doesn't look like it would actually be pr- very practical. But um, there are other people have also complained that uh, they're saying that it's you know once again you know innovation, you know a change for for you know for change's sake. But I actually disagree with that because 
light, lightsabers with uh, protruding bits on the sides is not nothing new. They, they appeared in the comics. Um, so even though they're, they're obviously now they're not canon because they appeared in the comics, um, but they have appeared before. So the uh, it's not like Abrams has just thought, oh, wow, it'd be cool if it has a crossbeam. Um, it actually has appeared in a, a previous comic. Um, so... Um, but in, in terms of, uh, of the, the fact that, it's, that the slide down thing is not going to work, I agree with that. Yes, but that doesn't mean it can't be used as like a close combat sort of deal. I mean, imagine how deadly it would be is if you're in like a, a fight as as brutal as uh, say the mall fight was. If you got up in close, which they actually did manage to get in close a couple of times, you're going to smack him in the face with the cross beam laser like and bayonet style. Yeah, bayonet style exactly, and then bang, it's over. Yeah. Um, the but you have to be skilled with it because you don't want to chop off your own hand at the same time. Yeah, that's it. That's a good point you brought up when we were watching it. Is you know, it looks it actually looks more dangerous to the user than it does to the to the opponent. Um, but people said that about Maul's win as well. I mean, it was it was kind of, it was kind of pointed out that the double bladed lightsaber it actually required more skill of the user so that they didn't hurt themselves while they were using it. And that's why Maul was you know as good as he was. Um, uh, but uh, the other thing is the the flickering and stuff. Once again, the flickering of the lightsabers and stuff is nothing new. Obi Wan's lightsaber flickered and sizzled when he was on uh, the planet where the clones came from, Genosha, or whatever it's called, yeah, Genosha. Um, so I, I can only assume that because the place the, where he is is where it's snowing is making it flicker and stuff. Um, the flamey effect, I think, looked cool. I do agree that it does look a little too thin and too long, um, but one idea that's been uh, posited, uh, so this is, this is not a spoiler, but uh, one idea that's been posited is that I actually really, really like is that the, the wielder of this lightsaber made it himself and didn't do a very good job um actually quite i'm fascinated by that idea is that he's so he hasn't been trained in any way the art of making lightsabers is something that's passed down so he had nobody to teach him and so he's you know cobbled it together as best he could and this is what he came up with you know so as i i quite like that i think that's pretty 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 groovy i actually actually hope that that is the case um if it is the case then that's kind of neat yeah i think it I think that like it's just made to look more evil. Like it's like a yeah. Uh, yeah a more evil version of a lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally, I'm totally with you there. I do think sometimes uh, people watching the movies put more thought into it than people actually making the movies. Yeah. Well, that's a shame. Yeah. Don't and you think that's a shame? That is a very much so that is a shame. When, when they, they, they don't put that much effort into it. the whole debate over Samuel L. Jackson's purple lightsaber and yeah. it just turned out that's just because he wanted a purple one yeah yeah so he could see yeah. himself in the fight yeah <laughs> there are so many ideas about who that character is i personally think it's adam driver's character whoever whoever that may be um but i just, i don't want to i don't want to talk about it too much in case it just we're sort of getting into spoilerly sort of thing but there is yeah there is a, a sort of one idea sort of being floated around the message boards about who that character is and i don't want to say just in case it's because i actually I think that is actually right, and I don't want to say it just in case. But um, if if you're at all curious, have a have a Google search. I mean, it's out there. It's all you know, it's all over the place. So if you if you want to check it out, of who I you prefer know, to wait you know, people sort of things. I do as well. I read them. I I read them because I'm curious. But there's no guarantee. This. I mean, most of the time, these people are wrong. <laughs> so there's no guarantee. But I was, I I personally had an, an idea of who it was, and so I did a search and sort of you know had a look. So, but you know, I do I do actually think it is most likely Adam Driver's. Uh, character in the end and not who i actually am hoping it is but anyway moving on uh next we move to oscar isaac as a rebel alliance pilot in the x-wings uh the x-wing scene looked magnificent it looks very dam buster style you basically got three x-wings in position roaring down uh, a river and so the the force of their uh, of being, of the force of them going past is making the water splash up and stuff I've always been a big fan of that i'm not too sure why 
So it's uh, so it, it just looks awesome. Uh, Isaac, Isaac 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 is a uh, is a uh, Portuguese actor, I do believe, or something. So um, and uh, it's one of the, one cool thing I did notice about that is they've actually retained the Orabesh language. Um, so Orabesh is the um, the visual representation of the basic, which is basically English that the, the galaxy speaks. Um, so they've kept, so they've made they've kept that. So that's still canon, thank God. Um, and so it's, and it's, the the yellow goggles uh, and the goggles, yeah, yeah. So but anyway, on his vest, it actually said in Orabesh, it actually upside down. It says pull to inflate, which I think is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty groovy. Uh, and then then you've got the new stormtroopers. Uh, I love the scene with the new stormtroopers. They got a, a nice new design. Well, um, one more William Shatner observation. He said they look happier. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody Shatner. You're obsessed. Uh, uh, I just thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they do They do look awesome, though, to be, to be fair. They do look mad. And uh, uh, maybe a little slightly sort of Apple-ish, if you know what I'm saying. So that, they've got those sort of like the eye... Not so much like the eye Daleks, The eye Daleks. <laughs> Not quite that bad. Uh, but anyway, they do look pretty cool. Um, I do want to point out one, though. I don't know if, if you actually see that scene. If you freeze that scene, the Stormtrooper about four from the front... He's so short. It's, it's obvious. It's so You're obvious. Too short for a stormtrooper. And he's actually, it's like he's a little too short to be a stormtrooper. It's, it's Luke. It is. It's Luke in disguise. <laughs> it's, it's pretty. I, I know. It just it struck me. It's really, it's, 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 actually, it was on like the third. Or, I've seen it multiple times now. It was on the third or fourth viewing. Is like when I got past how cool that sort of looked. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's a bit weird. But anyway, um, and uh, actually, I think I might have done those out of order. I think the Stormtroopers were before the X Wings. But anyway, I think you're right. It does, yeah. doesn't matter. I think it was the Stormtroopers first, and then the X Wings. But anyway, um, and then it finishes off with uh, a dogfight between uh, the Millennium Falcon and uh, some Tie Fires. And the Millennium Falcon actually does look slightly different, uh, which I think is cool because it is 30 years later. I mean, there's been modifications. So the circular radar dish is gone. Um, it's been replaced by a rectangular dish. Um, well, the, the 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 circular radar dish is gone, and there's a rectangular thing sticking on the top of a falcon. So, what, if, if that turns out to be a dish, I don't know. And uh, and uh, it looks it looks kind of sleeker. So it looks like it's actually had some some of the bulk taken away. It looks, I mean, like it's like he doesn't even bother pretend that it's a smuggling ship anymore. It's just I'm just I'm just here for combat now. It does look pretty cool. And then the fight with the with the tie fighters over the the desert planet, which some people are saying a Tatooine, but you know may or may not be, um, looks pretty damn cool. Looks awesome. I'm ready to see it. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, not the way you are, mm. um, but I'm super excited about this. Like, I can't wait to see it on opening night, and I'm gonna bring my lightsaber. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's gonna be awesome. So, uh, December 2015. My God, it's gonna be big, big, big month, and uh, expect more more trailers to come out before between here and then. So, actually, yeah, even though I said uh, there was only two items, just as, as a quick segue, uh, still on the subject of trailers. Uh, the Jurassic World trailer came out, which was pretty exciting. Yeah, man. Have you seen this trailer? Yeah, man. It's awesome. It looks pretty much like from seeing the trailer, I was super excited because it looks like almost like a remake of Jurassic Park. Like, it's actually not, though. It's like it's a continuation of the story. It's not like a relaunch. It's it's actually like a sequel. Yeah. And it's a they, sequel they're to the like first doing one. like a mutant dinosaur. Well, he's not a mutant. He's, he's genetically, genetically engineered new yeah. breed of dinosaur it's an ex-dinosaur okay an whatever you want to call X-Men. it it's gonna be like a giant lizard man thing it's not gonna be like a t-rex like are dinosaurs not dangerous enough like why do they have to make a new one <laughs> <laughs> that's actually one of my favorite memes from this it was like it's a it's a picture of uh dallas 
Um, and she's saying, it's like, you know, remember, remember what happened in the other Jurassic Park films of all those dinosaurs killing people and stuff? Well, this one we decided to make our own even more dangerous one. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, my thing is, is like, did they think they had to raise the bar? Like, the, it's been so long since we've had a Jurassic Park movie that, like, there's a whole generation of kids that think this is the first one. They're never going to get, like, the, the dinosaur experience. Like, sure, there's going to be lots of dinosaurs in this movie, but the real threat is going to be this, like, genetically engineered one. Yeah. And to me, it's just like, well, that's like Cloverfield. Like, this is a different movie now. It's not Jurassic Park anymore. And it really irks me. Like, I, I really think they should stick, at least for one more movie, stick with the with the dinosaurs and then make, you know, like a sequel to this one where they do, like, the genetically engineered one. Because... I can't imagine, like, a group of people stuck in an amusement park with a T-Rex and that not being, like, scary enough. Like, why, why do they need to add this lizard man in, you know? Because they've, cause they've already done it. Like, Jurassic Park 3 already has a T-Rex going mad on its own, where, where it was the ultimate threat. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, no, point, there's was, no point in doing that again, though. Yeah, but I was, like, whenever that came out, I was so young that my parents didn't leave me at home by myself yet. Like I was like younger than thirteen, so like that's that was done a long time ago. Yeah, I feel I feel like this is taken. There's such a big gap between Jurassic Park three and then this Jurassic Park that it's almost a relaunch. Like, why not just go ahead and make it a relaunch? You know, because it's so reminiscent of the first one. What I like about the Lizard Man idea, though, is that it's, it's obvious, obviously fantastical. I'm not going to see David's face fall when he found out how big the Raptors really were. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a disappointment. Um, but no, like, I, 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 I'm sorry, man, but I've got to disagree with you. I, I, th- I think this, the story has to progress, and this would be the natural progression. Like they've ironed out all the wrinkles, and Jurassic Park actually now, le- you know, f- fictionally but legitimately exists. So that, and then, so they now have Jurassic World. Like people are, I mean, they show the scenes where people are actually doing it. Uh, you know, going to the show, and this, it's like a Sea World type thing. It, it, it's it's all it's been in operation for a while and it also ties back to the first film where it, where they say just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should do it and it sort of makes That's perfect true. sense that they would actually they've already modified the dinosaurs to not breed it makes perfect yeah. sense that they would modify them a more a more especially if there's some sort of plot in the film that we're not aware of where they've been paid by the government to do so so they've already they've already had the films where you've had the apex predator of that time so in in one you had the T-Rex and the Raptors. In two, you had whatever that stupid dinosaur was that I can't remember that you know they thought was more important than the T-Rex. And then, then in three, you had, they went back to the T-Rex. And now it makes more sense to have one that is basically the ultimate. I actually think that sounds pretty cool. But, like, I think it is cool. And I agree with you. It does make sense for the progression of the story. Yeah. It's just, to me, this felt like they were doing a relaunch, not, like, a continuation. And I kind of want... I just kind of want to see... I want to kind of see Jurassic Park, the the first movie, yeah. revisited more than I want to see Jurassic World, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, there is that Kickstarter group that is uh, going back and putting feathers on the dinosaurs to make them more realistic. Have you seen that? <laughs> yeah, but then they also have to that. shrink the raptors. And... Yeah, so they're going to gonna, gonna modify the film to make the dinosaurs appear more realistic. 
I have to completely change that Raptor seat. I don't know. It's just it. I, I find that sort of thing ridiculous. I mean, yes. I mean, as as Crystal pointed out, to my horror, I discovered I discovered that the Raptors don't actually look like they are portrayed in the film, which is a shame because they're brilliant. Um, and yes, it's it's been now proven that some dinosaurs actually did have feathers. feathers um, well, yeah. you know, their their sort of version of feathers, and you know, that's all well and good. <laughs> but yeah. it's a it's a film. <laughs> it's, it's it's you know just it's let it let it go. It's make believe. You maybe, can't create create a dinosaur from frog DNA. Exactly. So maybe yeah. something in the process of re of recreating these dinosaurs means that they lose their feathers or something. Who knows? It means just, that the raptors grow. Just throw some line in there that you know that says the raptors don't look anything like they do, like the chickens that they actually really were. You know stuff like that. I mean, just let it go. I mean, I, I respect the fact that yes, that is how they were really, but. It's you know we don't actually have a Jurassic World in real life either. Let's just you know let's just move on. Nerd rage. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> Maybe if it, like they were going to go back and change the walking with dinosaurs because that was a documentary and meant to be factual. Yeah, that I would guess be different. Yeah, I guess that would that would make a lot more sense. Yeah. And, that, and, yeah. and that's fine. And but you know I don't know. <laughs> well, while, while I'm in the middle of a rant, I might as well continue on a little bit more. Just one extra point I just had to think for that Star Wars trailer. Le- yeah. Less than 24 hours later, someone's done a Lego version of it. Now, Which is very funny. Is as talented as that person is. I mean, I mean, it's it's awesome. I mean, the the, the everything is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he just did that to me. Uh, but no, it's, I mean, it's, and yeah, it's, it's it's all it's all well and good. I'm, I I respect the the talent involved in making it. But oh my god, I'm so sick of seeing Lego versions of trailers. I'm just I'm so over it. I just can't I just can't see another one. Please. For my for my mental health, don't do any more. But anyway, moving do you, on. You don't have to watch, Dave. You, know, you don't have to watch it. Why do you click play? On it? <laughs> Just take take my own take my own advice. Well, you don't have to watch it if you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Uh, next up, we've got our reviews. Cool. So uh, our first review is Bo, and he's doing Nightcrawler. All right. So um, I was um, away on business. I had to go to like this training thing, and it's in Charlotte, and I don't know anybody in Charlotte. So like at night, I basically just have time to myself to waste in the hotel room. So I usually go see a movie. This happened last time. I went and saw um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Or um, whatever the most recent Planet of the Apes movie was. Yeah, Rise. It was Rise, okay. You don't, you don't just and, take your laptop with you and play Warcraft? Uh, I do, but it never works that well on the on the uh, hotel Wi-Fi, you know? Ah, uh, okay. And, the, and it's not the same, not being on my regular keyboard. You know, I always <laughs> bring it saying I'm going to do that, and I never do it. All right, okay. Um, so I went, and saw, I went and saw this Nightcrawler movie. I'd, I'd never heard anything about it. Actually, on the show, when we were doing the release dates, I... Um, you know, I mentioned it, and I saw that it was coming out the same weekend that I was going to be in Charlotte. So I said, "Well, I'll go see that while I'm in Charlotte." Well, Cam, and Cam reviewed I, it for the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I saw that. Cool. Uh, I had no idea, though. Otherwise, if it wasn't for NCP, I wouldn't have known it was coming out. I don't know how I missed it. I think this is actually a pretty popular movie. It just somehow snuck under the radar, and all the time that I was podcasting and playing WoW and not watching TV <laughs> and not looking for trailers. Um, it's written and directed by Dan Gilroy. The main character is Jake Gyllenhaal. 
And um, Jake Gyllenhaal is, he's kind of this broke, um, it's set in California, he's this broke guy, and he's um, trying to find, like, different ways to, not I won't say con, but he's, like, you know, doing shady things to get money. And then um, he runs into these people that are filming, um, like, car crashes, and then selling the footage to the news studios, um, and they just kind of pay him kind of freelance, and um, he goes and buys like a cheap camcorder and and starts doing it. He eventually like hires like a like a intern guy to follow him, and um, buys better equipment. It kind of reminded me of podcasting in the way that you start out with like you know like just a single mic, and then you start getting better and better equipment. Yeah, I and it's that almost too. like getting bitten by the bug of buying the equipment and like that's more fun than actually podcasting in some ways <laughs> yeah. so I, I kind of feel like he got into that too in this movie um, but the story is really about like um, sort of like what reality portrays versus what the news wanted like they wanted him to bring them um, like a certain type of footage because it you know had it brought better ratings not necessarily the truth of what was happening they just kind of wanted a certain imagery. And so it got to where he was kind of picking certain jobs because it paid better or um, even in some cases adjusting certain crime scenes so that it would pay better. And this just snowballs into this you know, story where he's not necessarily helping crime happen, but he gets to a point where he's almost letting certain things happen so that he'll be able to foot it, you know, film it and then sell it. Um, and it's, it's a pretty cool story. It's kind of a dark comedy. It's not super funny, but there's definitely some funny parts, and it is really, it's really kind of dark and moody. I'd give it a three out of five. Cool. All right, well, um, uh, I do believe Young Cam gave it five out of five. So obviously, disagreement there, dude. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty good. It is pretty good. But you know, Cam, he's he's, he's sixteen. He's gonna trust. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will say, I will say this. Or I will say this. Like, um. Jake Gyllenhaal playing the very likable, um, but yet psychotic, you know, character. I mean, he's he's doing really good at that. Yeah, he's worked that out. Likable, but yet psychotic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the guy's crazy, and you you definitely think he's like making bad decisions, but you're still like, I kind of like the guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got a likable face. He's like got... he's always smiling without even meaning to. Yeah, he's always got a bit of, a bit of roguish charm. Like, I wouldn't let him watch my kids, but he could water my plants. He <laughs> could water my plants. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> no, it's actually kind of a reference to the movie. Oh, is it? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, the next review is myself, and I'm reviewing The Babadook. Um, the Babadook is a Australian film uh, written and directed by uh, Jennifer Kent, uh, who based it on her short film Monster. It's, it basically deals with a mother and a, a single mother um, who, oh, she's a widow, uh, and her young son. And her young son, you know, as as all young boys do, they're all, all full of imagination and stuff. But he's absolute pain in the neck. I mean, he's just a shocker. He, I was, it was one of those one of those kids where I was glad I'm not a parent. <laughs> it's just, and he just he basically is he's you know he just he needs a lot of attention and a lot, a lot of care and and she's you know she's always tired and but she does the best she can and and you know she's I think she's a pretty good mum. She does what she can, what she can. Uh, one day while uh, reading a story, she discovers a book on the shelf uh, called uh, Mr. Babadook. Um, which is like a dark fairy tale story, 
about this monster called uh, Mr. Babadook who, uh, you know, basically just appears and starts causing trouble. The book is is uh, absolutely brilliant. Like, the actual prop of the book itself is so well done. I, I don't know who does uh, the illustrations, but whoever does it is brilliant, and uh, it should be released as an actual item. I'd buy it for, in a second. Um, it is brilliant, brilliant stuff. And while she's reading it, she kind of she gets a bit weird and weirded out because it seems to be talking directly to her. Um, and then uh, weird stuff starts to happen. So her son is is uh, is already he's he's like a he, he wants to be a magician, like a stage magician, and he, he he believes in monsters and sort of the classic stuff. She has to check under his bed and checking his closet and all that sort of stuff. But after reading the book, it, that this just intensifies, and he the 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 boy really believes that the the bubble duck is is uh, has arrived and is is causing trouble and you know, does stuff that he gets blamed for and all sorts of stuff. So it starts off, you know, you know it's, it's, not, it's not all that original in the, in, in the you know, the monster that, is, that everybody thinks is imaginary actually turns out to be true. But it's done in such a way that is so unbelievably creepy. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't rely on, you know, the jump scare. There's no cats in, in cupboards or any of that sort of rubbish that you see these days you know, in, in so-called horror yeah. films. It really is creepy as hell, and just the dawning realisation that the monster is real uh, really, really gets to you. I don't want to go uh, too far into it, because because spoilers, I mean, it needs to say that, you know, the monster appears and, you know, they have to fight it off. Uh, that's There's a, a lot more to it than that that I really, really employ to check it out. And the Duck itself is so brilliant, brilliantly done, I just, I, I just can't, I can't get over it. It's just, it's so, so good. It just, it really evokes sort of, uh, well, it's basically, it's, at one point in the film, she's watching TV in sort of like a stupor. Like, she's so tired, she's not really paying attention to what she's doing. And she's watching TV, and there's a series of sort of old, uh, sort of uh, 1900 silent horror films. So sort of, uh, oh, what is the, what is the director's name? Mel- Melville? Is it Melville? It's basically the the man who invented special effects. Um, is a, a French man. I just I'm ashamed. That I can't remember his name, but it's basically some sort of stuff that he sort of done, sort of from the you know from the Earth to the Moon sort of type stuff. So sort the of mm-hmm. silent era type special effects, and uh, and the bubble duck keeps appearing in these you know every now and again in in these shows, even though he's not meant to be there. He was like you appear every now and again, and that was so creepy. Uh, even I was creeped out, and, and I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a horror film aficionado. You know, I mean, I don't get easily creeped out by these things. I've seen it all before, and it was just—it was so awesome, but so, yet so creepy that I was just like, "This is just this is brilliant stuff." One of the so one of the other things I want to talk about though is is even though it's an even though it's an Australian film, it's filmed in South Australia. But one of the things I like about it is that it doesn't throw that Australianism in your face. There's no shot of the Opera House. There's. There's no opera house. There's you know it's in South Australia for a start. So, <laughs> so uh, but you know there's there's, there's, there's nobody there's nobody drinking a Fosters. There's no kangaroos. You there's know no what I mean? There's you know what I mean? so it's just look. I mean I lo- I love my country. It's it's uh, and, you know I'm a, I'm a patriot and you know I, I love being Australian and and you know Australia's own and all that sort of business. But one of the th- one thing about Australian films that sort of really irks me is this this under this need to sort of stamp it Australian, you know what I mean? And you know, I just and we we're just joking just then about about, you know, the silence and the fosters and the kangaroos and stuff. But I mean just the just this need to sort of make it clearly Australian. Like it's it's very obvious when a film is an Australian film, I think. Yes. And and sometimes that works. 
I mean, obviously, Crocodile Dundee wouldn't work without it, and you know everybody loves. Right. Everybody knows how much I love it. But you sometimes, don't want every film to be but, a tourism. Act. Yeah, every film doesn't doesn't need every just because it's Australian doesn't mean it doesn't need to mean that, that it's it's so obviously Australian. Films like Lantana, for example, which I think is another brilliant Australian film, doesn't it, that could be that could be set anywhere and still work. You know, films like Proof could be set anywhere and still work. Films like Rabbit Proof Fence obviously need to be set in Australia, and that's fine. So that's so so kudos to to Jennifer for that. She intentionally did that in order to sort of to make it universal. Like this film could really be anywhere, and has that sort of universal uh, theme of motherhood. She obviously doesn't over-explain any Australianisms either. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't have any of that sort of stuff. I mean, all the actors are all Australian. Um, so uh, and the other thing. So if if the only negative I really could I really could say is that sort of that motherhood. The theme that I think is just sort of overplayed just a tad. Um, it's just, I mean, it's quite clearly the film, the entire film is really quite clearly about, you know, motherhood and just, just how, how much of a journey it can be and just, you know, the trials and tribulations and all that sort of stuff and just how awesome mothers are. I just think it sort of, it sort of knocks you over the head a couple of times. It's sort of unnecessarily obvious about it. Um, but that is it. That, that's entirely it. I think everything else is absolutely brilliant. The, the story, um, the, the special effects, the acting, is, is, is everything else is so good that that minor, minor flaw is, is easily overlooked. Uh, and I, I give this uh, 4.5 out of 5 uh, easily. I just, it's just it's a, a must-watch and is uh, a standout Australian, Australia's own uh, Australian film uh, in the horror genre, which we don't really have a lot of, unfortunately, well, that, that are good. And the good news for David is, is I did some Googling and there's actually a crowdfunding campaign to produce the Babadook pop-up book. There you go. If you Google oh, it, you'll cool. find it. Yep, they've got my money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be doing it. So, uh, yeah, so the baby look, check it out. Cool, so uh, let's move on to our homework. In episode 117, I, I gave the guys a bit of homework uh, based on Rares of the Lost Ark. Now, a couple of weeks back, I was listening to a podcast uh, that um, posited the theory that that's my word. That's my word of the podcast. Positive, uh, the theory that um, Indiana Jones was unnecessary to the plot of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've since I've since found out that um, they actually got that from. Well, that theory's been around for ages, uh, but they specifically got that theory from the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, there's an episode of the Big Bang Theory where Sheldon introduces Amy to Raiders, and she says that she liked it, but. I was only when she overlooked the fact that Indy was unnecessary and they get into a big argument about it. It's one of the least funny episodes of Big Bang ever. And uh, but up until that point of listening to that podcast, I'd never heard that theory before. Uh, so what what they're basically saying is the what the base the theory is basically saying is that um, the plot of uh, not, not including the stuff at the start with the the Golden Idol, but basically the general plot of the film, which is to get the 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 Ark of the Covenant, would start and finish entirely without the need for Indiana Jones to be in it. I was fascinated, and we're all fans of the, of the film here. I mean, it's one of my favourite films of all time. Um, so I gave the guys some homework and uh, basically to watch it and sort of see, is that actually true? Uh, so we did, and uh, here's our thoughts. Who wants to go first? The first point we picked up on last night was uh, Indy needed to save Marianne, but did he really? If the, the Nazis had gotten there and killed her... They still would have gotten the medallion. Yeah, no. The the the, the thing that we were talking about last night was that she need that he needs to save Marion. Is yeah. that the, yeah. he needs to be there in order to lead the Nazis to Marion? But did he need to be there because the Nazis could have just tortured the information out of him? But then they still had, he still would have need to be in the movie because they would have had to get the information from him. But yeah. 
And he said they could have also <laughs> spoken to Marcus. There's going to be a lot of buts here, yeah. So basically, basically that that I, I think it, basically it all hinges on 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 the scene on the sequence that, that Crystal just brought up, which is why there was a lot of buts because there's a lot there's a lot involved in it. And, and I'm totally I'm totally we, we we spoke about it at length last night. So we basically, the basic the, the 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 plot starts when the U.S. agents inform Indiana that the Nazis have found Tannis and are looking for the Ark. That's the, that's the start of the plot. You can ignore all the, all the stuff, the, the, the idol stuff. That's a set-up stuff. That's, yeah, that's, all, that's all just to show how cool he is. And, and he is awesome. Yeah, and, so, and to introduce Bullock. So basically, so they've, they've come to Indiana to get to sort of information because they've, they've intercepted a telegram. And I've got the actual wording of the telegram here. It's very important, so I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so they've intercepted a telegram that the Nazis are, are basically are looking for Tannis and need to find um, Abner Ravenwood. Um, and have come to Indiana for assistance because Indiana used to work with Abner and will also be able to tell them about what the hell this arc is because they don't know. But, and uh, the audience, obviously. Uh, I mean, it's important to note that at this time, Marcus seems to know all the information that Indiana does. Well, Marcus knows more than any, any, any Indiana will ever know. So why are they <laughs> coming specifically to Indiana? Because he used to work with Abner and Marcus didn't. They think that he can have okay. a connection with, with yeah. Abner. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so, so the, act, the, the telegram specifically says, Obtain headpiece to the staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S., Okay, so that's all they know. They they that the Abner was a, an expert on Egyptian artifacts, and that that he's he's from the U.S. So U.S. somewhere. So they've already headed in the wrong direction because Abner's not in the U.S. as we as we know. Um, well, he's actually dead, but they don't know that. So so they go. So the U.S. intercepting that know that the Nazis are going to be in the U.S. looking for Abner, and so go to Indiana because they know if he's connected to him. Now, at this point, you'd have to think. Well, obviously. Indiana's important because without it, they wouldn't get this information because the Nazis are already looking in the wrong place. But as Crystal pointed out, they could have also gotten the information from Marcus. So there's there's a couple of unknowns here. Do the Nazis know that Indiana was working with Abner? They have to assume they do because in the very next scene, um, well actually no, the next scene's in in Indy's office. But in the very scene after that, when uh, Indiana's heading heading towards the pile because he knows that's where Abner's. It, 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 that was Abner's last location as far as he knew there's a Nazi agent on the plane so they either knew that Indiana worked with Abner and so therefore knew they can get to Abner through him or they followed the US they followed the trail of the US agents who went to I think it's more likely they, they knew they followed the US agents yeah I think it's more likely they followed the US agents so that being said if they followed the US agents once again Indiana is necessary because they went to. They would have to have gone to him. Yeah, but they still could have just gone to Marcus. But they could have gone to Marcus. See, this is a, see, this is why I think it is, <laughs> is is quite fascinating about this. So this is why I think this is why I think Crystal's hit it, hit the nail on the head there. To cut a long story short, I think we've come to the conclusion that that theory is actually right. It's because Indiana's pretty and handsome. Yeah, is that Indiana is actually not necessary? He's. I mean, he's he. At first glance, you would say, well, that that's that's clearly wrong. But the more you look at it, the more it is, is that. Marcus is actually more necessary than anything, and that my theory that Indiana is necessary because he has to lead them to Marion, which is where the, where, where the thing is, is actually not true. I think Marcus dissolves all that. Uh, but uh, I would still, even though I've made all those points, I would still disagree that Indiana is not necessary because it's cold 
Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost, Lost, Lost Ark. Well, actually, and, as we pointed out last night, it's actually just called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And can you imagine watching the film without Indiana Jones in it? <laughs> no, obviously that's that's off topic. Obviously, it's, it's, it's obviously we'd have to have yeah, Indiana yeah. in it for the film. But I'm saying in terms of the, of, of the homework, I think we've pretty much proven... Well, well, hold on now, hold on. I want to read a comment off of something. So basically, I've been kind of researching it um, before and during the show, and like you said, I discovered that it was it was from um, the Big Bang Theory, and so now I want to prove it wrong because I really don't like the Big Bang Theory that much. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I'm over the Big Bang Theory now. I think the latest seasons have been awful. Um, but all right, so I was reading a, a post where someone posted on um, a Stack Exchange post. They ask this same question. One of the one of the responses is, um, "I don't believe Amy's right," and it relates to the scene. It, it relates to a scene that isn't in the movie. Um, we know that the Nazis had the wrong link staff because they only had one side of the headpiece. Other posters have argued whether or not the Nazis could have obtained the head from Marion without him. Talking about Indiana, let's assume they do. I don't remember where I heard this, but he goes on to talk about a scene that's not in the movie that explains why Indiana knows to close his eyes at the end of the movie and that the Nazis no. didn't know. No, oh, well, but even if even if Indiana didn't know that, it's, it still didn't affect the outcome of the movie. Yeah, there is there is a deleted scene from the film that, that does it does explain that a little bit further, but it actually you can actually get any information from the film itself. Uh, so this is where I'm going to nerd out completely. They don't. Indiana is not necessary for the Nazis to get the the amulet. They could go. They could go and get the headpiece from Marion, kill her, take it, buy it, whatever the case may be, without him being there. We've already we've established that. Indiana knows to not look at the not look at the Ark because of the book that he shows the two U.S. agents at the start shows a picture of people with the looking with the uh, looking at the Ark. Everybody who's looking is dying through a beam of light. Everybody who's not looking and showing respect is not dying. Okay. Ah, okay, that makes sense. But his his final conclusion is anyway. Um, without Indy, either a they never find the art because they don't get they don't get the headpiece without him, or b they obtain the art with the complete headpiece but aren't killed by it because um, they have the instructions not to look at it. So basically, basically he's saying that in the deleted scene that there's the instructions with the headpiece. Um, not to look at it. So the Nazis had had Indiana not found that first, then the Nazis at the end of the movie would have known not to look at it. No, they wouldn't have because the instructions are not on the head. The instructions are not on the headpiece. All the instructions on the headpiece are how the length of the thing. I think I do believe that the deleted scene does say that there's more instructions on the on the the headpiece. But all of that is negated by the fact that the deleted scenes is not canon because it's not in the film, so therefore it's not re- not necessary. Okay, well, the Big Bang Theory still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, let's let's just posit the theory. That, yeah, okay, they go. The, Indiana's not in the film at all, right? They go and get the they go and get the headpiece. Just for the sake of argument, the deleted scene is still relevant, right? If the deleted scene doesn't actually say is that what we're saying, then yes, of course, they would have all the information they needed, even though they didn't have the book. They would so yes, they would they would close their eyes, they would have the ark, the ark they would oh, win the war. I don't know, but Nazi arrogance, they might decide that they're better than most humans and not close their eyes. Oh, maybe. Oh, I like that. You're thinking, yeah. thinking outside the box. But yeah, but the, but the thing <laughs> is, is, is the deleted scene does not does not appear in the film, and so their cut for can't be counted. It's, it's a pretty standard sort of thing about, you know, movie theory that you just you don't count the deleted scenes. 
just, I don't know, I just, I, I, we'll just have to go with that. I just have to set that as a ground rule. That's not canon. So anyway, so based on everything that we've said, let's go around the table. I think it's proven that Indiana Jones is not necessary to the plot. I have to agree, but I don't like it. <laughs> I, I, I don't like yeah. it. He has to be necessary because he's Indiana Jones, damn it! Yeah, and he is awesome. <laughs> that opening sequence is still one of the greatest of all time. <laughs> Throw me the whip. Uh, and Bo? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't like it. <laughs> but you do agree or disagree? You're welcome to disagree, that's fine. I'm not completing any sentence. I'm just going to say I don't like it. Fair enough. <laughs> I like it. Maybe. Well, in the in the, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm happy to have further arguments about it. In the, in the in the interest of moving the podcast along, we'll we'll end it there. Um, I'm not going to say with a defin- I'm not going to say with a definitive yes or no. I just that's there. There's our opinions. Um, if you have your own opinion, please let us know in uh, in the you know comments on the website or you know call in or email or whatever you, you feel like doing. And uh, you know, are we right or wrong? Well, if the object of the plot was shifted and the object was to actually save Marion, then he's necessary. But that's not the object of the plot. (laughs) The object of the plot is to get the Ark. Damn it. (laughs) I mean, I'm glad that he saves Marion because she's awesome. But uh, anyway, that's it. Moving on to Contest of Champions. Ladies and gentlemen... Okay, so as I said at the start, this iteration of Contest of Champions, uh, there's a, there's a reason behind it. So what we've got is He-Man, the master of the universe, the most powerful man in the universe. He-Man. He-Man versus Conan the Barbarian, and I want to very specifically say it's Conan as in the movie version. So Arnold Conan, there. Yeah, so it's Arnold from the first Conan the Barbarian film, and there's a reason for that, which we'll see in the scenario. Not, not the late night red-haired guy. Yeah. Not that, not that guy, um, and not from the the Jason Momoa version either. This is this is the Conan the Barbarian, the Riddle of Steel business. Um, now the reason I've gone with that uh, is because well, one, it's cool, uh, but two, uh, as we as we'll discuss later later on in uh, Azerothian times, they've introduced this this thing called followers. Um, so people that you find out in the world, and they they go and work at your garrison, and they you know they either work there or they follow you around as a bodyguard or whatever the case may be. And one of those you get them for various things, you know, quests and. You can buy them and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but one of those followers is called Crowman, um, and uh, you find him in, in a dungeon, and he's, he's the reward from a quest. So in the dungeon um, slag mines, uh, you, uh, you see him on the Wheel of Pain, <laughs> which is brilliant. And uh, if you talk to him, he follows you around the dungeon. If he and uh, the person he's following survive the entire dungeon, at the end you get an achievement, and you get him as a follower. And he's quite clearly meant to be Conan. Like, he's, like you see him on the Wheel of Pain to start off with. Yeah, at, the, at the next boss you go to, he gets this, his sword. And he's like, this is something I can trust, which is another sort of nod to the film where he's <laughs> like, you know, this you can trust. Um, that sort of stuff. Um, but he actually looks kind of more like He-Man. So he doesn't have the baldric, but he does have the the uh, furry loincloth <laughs> sort, of, sort of business. And he's got blonde hair. He doesn't have a little filthy sidekick. Baldrick. Baldrick is a chest piece thing. Oh, is that where they get the name from? Probably. Um, anyway, so the so yeah, so that's why that's why I sort of come up with it. So you know, so he's a cross between He Man and Conan the Barbarian, crusty sidekick. <laughs> it's funny you say that because He Man in the cartoons. You remember that bloody 
what was his name? Orko? Or- Orfo, Orko. Orko? It was, I think it was Orko yes. or Orko. Yeah. God damn, he was annoying. He was the best character. He was his crusty little sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> I've just realised I've only ever seen the Jason Momoa Conan. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know how much I think I've only Conan. seen the other. Oh, well, it's, it's basically the same thing, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, so here's the scenario. Hearing about the fabled sword of power that resides in Castle Grayskull... Conan and his group of outlaws, Supertai, Valeria, and Akira, decide to steal it. Because they're thieves in the film. (laughs) Uh, They infiltrate the castle using stealth and Akira neutralizing the magical defenses. But after searching the castle, they can't locate the sword. Because He-Man's got it, obviously. They are instead confronted by the sorceress. Remember the sorceress? Vaguely. Yeah. Uh, she was cool. She was like, she had that like that sort of bird motif. She looked like a Battle of the Planets oh, yes, character. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. She was pretty cool. Uh, so the sorceress, who uh, telepathically summons He-Man. The sorceress and Akira engage in a magical battle as He-Man arrives and confronts the others. He attempts to reason with them, but Conan notices that he has the sword strapped to his back and so challenges him to a fight. So is He-Man on his own or is the Master of Arms with him and... No, it's just him and his own. No tiger. Well, thing. he's. I guess he's, I, I assume he's got Battle Cat. Like he arrives on Battle Cat. Yeah, it's all right. That's good. That's a good. Point. Uh-huh. I didn't. I didn't put that in. So he's got Battle Cat. So you got He Man and Battle Cat versus Conan, Subutai, and Valeria. So for Crystal's benefit and for anybody else who doesn't know, so since so I, I specify that's from the first film because that's the sort of thing that they do. They go around, you know, boozing, whoring, and stealing. Um, so Subutai is a the an archer. A thief, an archer, and a martial artist. Um, so he's actually so he's a short sort of kind of like a Mongol type thing, sort of you know Genghis Khan sort of deal. Uh, Valeria is basically is like an Amazon warrior, so she's a, basically a female Conan. So she's as good a fighter as Conan, but she's not as strong as him. In fact, I actually think she's probably better than him. Uh, and Akira is the wizard shaman guy who's played by Mako, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Well, then the little Orko. Man, should be there. Orko's, Orko's not, no, Orko versus Sorceress is all you need. Okay. Yeah, Sorceress is enough to keep them engaged. So I've taken magic out of the fight, basically. So the Sorceress and, and Akira can go off to the side and have their magical battle out of the way and basically we just have, you know, sort of physical things. So it's so it may sound it may sound weird having three versus one. So it's He-Man versus Conan, Supertai, and Valeria. But we need it because He-Man is the most powerful man in the universe, as we all know. Exactly. <laughs> so you've got He-Man. As, as quickly as I possibly can, He-Man is characterized by his immense immense strength. He is the most powerful man in the universe. He prefers to reason with his foes rather than actually fight them, because you have to remember this is a 1980s cartoon. So He's very Picard. Yeah, he's very Picard. So um, <laughs> so even though he has the sort of power, uh, which is ridiculous, the sort of power is basically the same as Thor's hammer. By the power of Grayskull. Yeah, that business. Um, he, he, he actually very rarely ever uses it. Like, he deflects bolts of lightning and stuff every now and again, and he chops stuff, but he never uses it against his actual foes. Um, and he most of the time, he basically just sort of picked them up and threw them away. <laughs> he sort of pummel them, <laughs> give them the elbow, and throw them away, which is hilarious. Um, but, you know, that's the way he fights. And... Uh, as you do. Yeah, so as you kind do. Of, it kind of makes me wonder why Adam has to turn into He-Man, because Adam looks just as big and powerful Adam's, as He-Man. Adam's pretty buff. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's pretty weird. Yeah, so the sword is, is indestructible. Uh, it can deflect, absorb, and shoot energy. Uh, his harness, his baldric, <laughs> um, has uh, some some Eternian minerals uh on it, like the cross piece bit, um, that sort of enhances his strength even more. Not that he really needs it, but still, there it is. 
and something that I want to include for the, in terms for, for the fight, uh, it's unknown exactly how much damage he can take before he reverts to Adam, but it does happen a couple of times in the comic where he actually gets blasted by this sort of world, this planet-destroying beam. <laughs> he gets blasted by it, and he survives the, the blast, but he reverts back to Adam. So but, I think he's forced yeah. back to being Adam again. But as we've just said, Adam could be pretty powerful on his own. Nah, he's not. He's, just, he's not in the comics, and so therefore he's not in this. I mean, the cartoon. He's just like a buff guy. He's a buff mm. guy. He's just buff, but he's not actually strong. He's not. He, he, he doesn't even lift, bro. He's one, of, he's one of those guys that lift really heavy weights and then drop them. Yeah, he's like that. <laughs> he spends all his time on leg day. He's, 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 he's nothing, nothing too good about him. And uh, Battle Cat, as we all you know, he's a giant green and green tiger. So he's pretty impressive on his own. Isn't yeah. He? Unless, unless when he gets reverted back to Cringer. <laughs> I loved the show when I was a kid, but I have yeah. no idea why. Oh, I loved it. I loved it too. <laughs> but, uh, all this made sense to me when I was. Little. It all made perfect sense. Now Conan himself. Now this is no. This is movie Conan, not book Conan. I actually think if this yeah. is book Conan, I don't think he meant to stand as much of a chance, <laughs> so, especially with the three of them. But this is movie Conan. So, um, so does movie Conan have any powers other than natural physical strength? No, that's all it is. He's basically yeah. just really strong. He's an excellent fighter. He's sort of he's had gladiator type training and stuff. He's an excellent fighter, not as good as his book, the book version of him, but he's the movie version. He's so he's an excellent fighter. He's very strong, and he is actually smart, but nowhere near as smart as he as as Adam is as Prince as, as he man. So, so how does he even stand a chance? Well, because that's why I gave him hope. <laughs> without without the help, let's face it. Amen. Which is first, he tries to talk him out of it, and then if that didn't work, yeah. he just punch him in the face a couple of times and then throw him away. I mean, at one point in the cartoons, I don't know if you remember this, but one of the points in the cartoons, he man lifts the entire castle and throws oh, yeah. it through a portal. I mean, you know. It's a bit one-sided. So that's why I've gave him help. So with Super Ty, th- you know, shooting arrows into him, which he has to then either either block or deflect using the sword. Valeria going at it, so she's a lot more agile. So she's going in for the attack as well. And then he, and then Conan, he's still he's still pretty impressive. Let's don't get me wrong, I mean, he's still pretty good. So you go. So there you go. So there's the there's the uh, that's the thing. The sorceress and Akira are off to the side. They're out of the action. You've got He Man. And Battle Cat, I forgot to mention him. And then you got Super Type, Valeria, Conan. They rush into the attack. They're not. There's nothing. There's, they're not. See, Battle Cat could take out Conan's help. Yeah. See, Conan. That's that's good. I like that. I forgot about. I forgot all about Battle Cat. Curses. Curses for you remembering Battle Cat. What if What if they could somehow? Because Battle Cat is he's he's just like a a strong tiger, right? Like yeah, he's, he's not just, like he's a, he's a huge ass tiger. So yeah. <laughs> He's just a big ass tiger. <laughs> yeah, but that's still. I mean, you want a big ass tiger coming at you? Yeah, <laughs> but I'm just saying. Like, what if the three of them? What if Conan's, you know, Team Conan? They they like get the tiger, and the three of them maybe can pin it down and hold it hostage, and then He Man is like, "No, dog, don't hurt my tiger." You know. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. I don't know why He-Man suddenly turned gangster, but that, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. So Where new tactic. Instead of, instead of actually trying to take He-Man out, they, they know. Valeria especially will know that they're, just, they're outmatched. They just don't stand a chance here. I mean, I do like to point out, though, I do have to point out that Conan in the films, especially in the books, but in the film itself, he does actually take out a giant snake... And in Conan, the, in Conan uh, the Destroyer, a god. I just want to point that out. <laughs> he actually does manage to beat a god on Earth. 
So you just keep that in mind. He's not. He's now, not. How does he, how he's does not he totally outmatched. Sorry. How does he do it? Uh, he uh, the guard or the snake. The guard. Uh, the guard. He he. After he gets smacked around a couple of times, he climbs up uh, up behind it and rips the horn off, which is what created it. So the all the powers in the horn. So he rips off the horn. We. So he. If he can figure out what He Man's, you know, ultimate weakness is, he'll go for that. Yeah, well, He Man's the, the only ultimate weakness I can think of is that he can revert back to Adam. Yeah, but you need some sort of planet destroying force to do so. Yeah, and I just don't exactly. think they've got yeah. that. I yeah. don't think they can pull that off. I, which is why I very much like your taking Battle Cat hostage business. But if they've if they've pinned down Battle Cat and Adam, uh, Adam and He Man's, he's not bound in any way. Couldn't he just boot them off? Yeah, probably. Just threatening to kill. You know, I'd, 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 the more I think about it, I, I didn't I obviously didn't think about this too much. But the more I think about it, this is why this is why I like having having these sessions with you guys because I actually thought Conan would actually, and, and I thought Team Conan, which I like, I like that. I'm going to use that Team Conan actually stood a bit of a chance. I didn't think nah. so. But I'm just uh, even with scenario. So we'll go with that scenario. They managed to corner Battle okay. Cat. Akira's, you know, shot some arrows into the poor cat, poor kitty. So he's he's, he's not looking too good. Valeria's, you know, got it, got him pinned. They've basically they've got him pinned. Managed to avoid his teeth. And they're actually and they're actually saying, all right, we're going to kill the cat if you don't give It'll us the sword. Over the sword. Yeah. All he man has to basically all all he has to do just jump in and just take them all out. But they're threatening to slit the cat's yeah. throat. Oh yeah, we'll say they've actually got the knife to his throat business. What do you so reckon? I'm just saying, in a in a in a in a save Gwen Stacy or save the world scenario, is he saving is he saving the cat or is he saving the sword? I've got it. I've got it worked out. Battle Cat is huge, right? Cringer is not, right? So Battle Cat yeah. is massive and has the armor, yeah. whereas Cringer, when he is, is actually smaller and has no armor, he's right? like a little kitty. He Man is brainy as well as as like he's actually really intelligent, right? He like, tries to he's work brainy out. Brainy as well as brawny. This is what he, This is what I'm gonna say. He transforms Battle Cat back to Cringer. Oh, Team Conan are like WTH. Yeah, <laughs> you know WTH because it's a kids show. WTF. I've only ever heard WTF. Never heard <laughs> Well, you're gonna, if you're going to use the acronym... I use the acronym as... as right. I, I might as well just could have said that. Because it's He-Man. It's a kid's anyway, show. It's a He-Man. It's a try. It's a He-Man. It's a kid's show, dude. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> they're like... They're like, all right, all right. They go WTF, all right? Are you happy with that? And yeah. uh, in, the conf- in that momentary confusion, we'll go with Crystal's thing. He leaps in and lays That's the smack like down. Stuff. It's but all over. then something weird happens with the sort of Grayskull... <laughs> And He Man and Conan merge and become Crowman. Yay! A, sp- a, 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 a deflected bolt of energy between the sorceress and Akira hits the sword. <laughs> they merge into Crowman. <laughs> and spend the rest of their life in World of Warcraft. <laughs> that's awesome. You're you're so wonderful. <laughs> that is cool. Alright, that's it. That's the that's the scenario we're going with unless Bo you have any uh, objections. No, I love it. <laughs> I think that's one of our best ones. That was brilliant. Let's All right. see, let's see uh, the Big Bang Theory do that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Screw you, Big Bang Theory. I can't believe I remembered so much of He-Man. That was cool. All right, so uh, just in summary, Sorceress versus uh, Akira. Sorceress wins. Pretty obvious. He-Man, Battle Cat, they, the team Conan take Battle Cat hostage. He gets transformed back into Cringer. They're like, WTF. 
And then He-Man jumps in just and then just throws him away. And throw man his balls. Then, that was actually a really clever, uh, really clever plot twist to make thank, him yes. think like that. Thank you, dude. I do my best. I do this for you, people. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then uh, He-Man and, and Kotan merge into Crew-Man. That's, that's one of my favorite ones ever. Yo. Yo, dog, don't hurt my cat. <laughs> 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 All right, moving on. So that was uh, Colors of Champions. Agree or disagree? Let us know. Love to hear from you. Because right, let's finish up with uh, Coming Soon. So in Australian cinemas, December 4, we get Charlie's Farm, which is a horror film, Australian horror film. Is that where angels go to pasture? <laughs> I did not even think about that joke, but yeah, probably. Um, Exodus, Gods and Kings, uh, Christian Bale, dealing with the story of Exodus. Uh, Love is Now, don't know anything about. The Captive, which is uh, Ryan Reynolds. So I don't know what the story is about, but it's got Ryan Reynolds in it, oh, so therefore it's good. I, th- I, I saw that. Reviewed, David and Margaret reviewed that, and, oh, yeah. and, and it actually looks... Yeah, I don't know if it's something that I want to see, but it looks like a well-made... I think you'll like it. Cool. But, well, you'll see anything Ryan Reynolds Yeah, I'll see it just because Ryan's in it anyway, so it's <laughs> fine. Um, uh, the Congress, which it sounds fascinating. It's, actually, it's, uh, it's a film about Robin Wright, uh, so the actress Robin Wright, who plays herself, and she sells her image to a company who uses it in a virtual world of some kind. I don't know. It's, 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 uh, I don't, I don't know the full ins and outs of it, but what I read of it sounds really, really cool. And, uh, sounds so be, crazy. Yeah. I'll be checking that out. I like the, I like the way the actors play themselves business. I don't know. I don't know why it's, it appeals to me. Um, the green prince. Uh, I don't know about that. You're not you. Then kind of, kind of, what, well, who am I then? <laughs> 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 um, and, the film that had to happen, Turkey Shoot, which is a, another Australian film and is actually a remake of an exploitation film. Uh, and this one, they've sort of gone uh, for sort of more of a sort of a comedy action type route. I don't know, the trailer looks terrible. The whole film just looks awful. They should have released it last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. To release it for Thanksgiving. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the film, the original is not very good, but it's not. I mean, it's exploitation. It's, it's not meant to be good, um, and you know, it has a sort of certain charm. I'm not a fan, but I suppose. Uh, but this one just, oh my god, just looks bad. But anyway, that's it for Australian films in America. Uh, in America, that same weekend, we have we have a few. We have Murder of a Cat. I don't know what that is. But it's about a cat that gets murdered, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I bet you it's not. I will love that one. <laughs> Life Partners. Still Alice, Pioneer, The Pyramid, Take Care, Poker Night, and The Beast. The I don't know Beast. One of those. <laughs> I don't know any of them. They should have that. They should combine those two together. Poker Night and The Beast. So The Beast, yeah. that's, that's not an X-Men film, is it? He doesn't get his own film. No, it's not, it's not X-Men related. The next one of the X-Men films, Apocalypse. Um, <laughs> I know you knew Neither that. Was Nightcrawler, by the way. Yes. It's, he's not in Nightcrawler either. <laughs> Cool, so that's it for coming soon. As before, uh, before we finish up this epic episode, if you're still with us, I, uh, I do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, we've got uh, just a couple of shout-outs and thank yous, and uh, Crystal has something she wants to say. All right, a quick correction from last week's episode. Yes, I am aware the femur is in the leg, not in the arm. Thank you. <laughs> Did someone actually bring that to your attention? Well, I brought it to my own attention. Oh, right, that's awesome. I listened back and I went, you idiot. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> uh, well, the shout-out is uh, we've had uh, quite a few uh, new Twitter followers, so thank you to everybody um, who has done that. And 
We actually had someone respond with their top five childhood films. So the episode uh, 118, we talked about our favourite films from our childhood. Um, and uh, on Twitter, Black Sword, at B1ACK Sword, uh, has uh, given his, his top five, which is awesome. So thank you very much for doing that, dude. It's awesome. Uh, his top five are, starting from five and going up, we've got five, The Sandlot, uh, four, Heavyweights, three, Batman, and I can only assume the it's the Tim Burton Batman. Uh, two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and one Ghostbusters. Could be the Adam West Batman. They did a film. Yeah, I guess so. It doesn't, it yeah, doesn't specify. Of, it doesn't yeah. specify, but I can only I, I'm assuming it's the Tim Burton one. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. back me up there. So that's pretty. That's sweet. So there's, uh, there's a good couple of choices there. I've never heard of Sandlot. It's it's a cool. It's never a cool seen yeah, it's a cool little film. Never. Never, oh, Kill yeah. smiles. Yeah, they're killing his balls. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, there's a Sandlot Twitter account, and they favorited that tweet, which is oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. So, thank you, uh, Black Sword. So, anybody else? Um, yeah, you got uh, anything you want to let us know on the Twitter? All the details are at the end. Anyway, so that's uh, that's it for episode one nineteen. It's uh, it's been awesome. It's uh, quite warm here, so we're going to turn the aircon on as soon as we start recording. Uh, that's it. For, yeah, so that's it from me and the crew, Crystal. By the power of Azeroth. <laughs> nice and boom so the storyline of Jurassic Park would have been the same even without the dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> bye you've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast we'd love to hear from you send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com you can write on our wall if you go to the Facebook page go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast tweet us at nerdculturecast Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.